I'm Jonathan Goldstein, and you're listening to Wiretap on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Today's special holiday episode, The Two Marys. Uh, this is the story of Mary and Joseph, and, um, and I'll be telling it as Joseph. The thing with pregnant women is that they glow. I know you've heard this, how they walk around like uranium Buddhas spreading joy and light. But the way my Mary glowed was for real. Mary was like the sunrise, and when she smiled her kind little smile, you had to literally shield your eyes. Another thing about pregnant women, or at least it's something I've noticed with Mary, is that they're supremely confident, like their bellies are puffed out barrel chests and they're looking for a tussle, but a tussle that will end in bear hugs. Because not only are they confident, but they're filled with love. Mary sometimes calls me over while I'm sanding a chair or something and just quietly strokes the side of my face. You're okay, she asks. Of course I'm okay, I say. I'm the one who should be asking if you're okay. But of course I know what she's getting at. How's the holy baby, Ezekiel, my foreman at work, asks me like ten times a day. (laughs) And I have no choice but to bite it. It's either that or be out of a job. And that's the last thing I need right now. On top of everything else, can you imagine me and Mary and the kid losing the house and having to live in a tree? Living off of cranberries and pomegranate seeds like a tree rodent? No thanks. Being chosen by the Lord is an honor. I'm not saying it's not, and objectively speaking, I know it like I know anything else. It's flattering to think that your girlfriend is good enough for God, and on some days I can convince myself well enough that it is an honor, indeed. But if the guys at work don't act like it's an honor, and none of your friends or family act like it's an honor, then it doesn't feel so much like an honor. And so you end up just feeling like your everyday garden variety guy who's been cheated on. Sure, you've been cheated on with the Lord, but still. (laughs) I should also say that even getting to the point where I believed Mary was an ulcer wrapped in a hernia. (laughs) She had never lied to me before, and I knew her heart like I knew my own. But when she told me this business about being visited by an angel, I had an honest-to-God conniption. (laughs) Rending the clothes from my back, trying to shove our dining table through the front door. You name it. Is that the best you can come up with, I asked. Don't you have enough respect for me to create something a little less, I don't know, completely insane? (laughs) When I got this way, up to my tricks is what she called it, Mary would make herself into a wall. The crazier I got, the wallier she got. Our fights were like a game of handball. I'd throw at her everything I had just to break through, to make an impression. I'd say things I didn't mean, stupid things that didn't even make sense. Sister, thou art the cracked egg that hath laid a chicken of lies. (laughs) I would wave my unlovableness right up in her face, and she'd stare right through it as though in a dream. My dad used to call Mary the sleepwalker. She acted like she was sleeping while she ate, while she worked, while she was spoken to. She's just sensitive to things we can't see, I'd say in her defense. My dad can never understand what I saw in her, but what my dad never stopped to think about was what exactly Mary saw in me. You see, to most people, I was a high-strung whiner, 
But to Mary, all of my whining was a laugh riot. When I started complaining, Mary would shake her head and laugh like I was the funniest guy in the world. It made me feel like in her eyes I couldn't do any wrong. So as whiny and annoying as I'd get, there was always Mary, giggling away like it was all a big act. Like underneath it all, there was a nice, funny heart that deserved to be loved. On most days, her love was enough to make me feel like a pretty big man. But after a whole night of screaming and crying, I don't think she was finding me such a laugh minute. I went outside to try and cool off. Sitting on a tree stump, I felt a hand on my shoulder. I turned around, and there he was, an angel, the whole bit, wings and everything, just squatting there. Talk about a lack of stagecraft. I almost went back to chewing on my knuckle skin and ignoring him entirely. Are you the one with Mary? I asked, not looking at him. No, he said softly. I just came here to tell you that what Mary tells you is the truth. This is a lot to digest, I said. The angel withdrew his hand from my shoulder and left me sitting there outside my house, digesting until morning. Even after all that, I was still a mess. What did the angel look like, I would ask every so often. What difference does that make, she'd say, laughing. I just want to know, I'd say. In the early days, I was all about the little details. What was he wearing? What did he say to you? Was he a handsome angel? What do you mean there was a blinding flash of heavenly light? And what about my light? Would you describe my light as heavenly? But after a while, I started to feel like a fool. I mean, for God's sakes, being jealous of an angel. So it was pretty soon afterwards that I started to worry. The angels must have seen Mary from heaven and knew she was the right one for the job, but they probably didn't get a very good look at me. While they were all lying around on the clouds mooning over Mary, they probably missed her loudmouth boyfriend in the background griping about his stubbed toe. <laughs> Who was I to be raising an angel baby? What could I teach a baby of any kind? How to hyperventilate when you're outbid for a carpentry job? How to cry in frustration when your roof caves in? What kid is going to want to hang around with me? All I have to teach him is how to worry. That was an area in which I excelled. And worry I did. Worry that the baby may not even end up looking like people. That he might be born with wings. Or worse, be born with just one wing. The thought of Mary holding a one-winged baby on her lap was just about enough to make me get all weepy and sick to my stomach. If that son of a bitch Ezekiel made even one little crack about my illegitimate one-winged baby, job or no job, I'd strangle him with my bare hands. Now, the very last thing I needed in the midst of all this was to load up the mule and take Mary and myself out of town for a census. The Romans were obsessed with counting things, and so everyone had to pack up and be counted in their city of birth, which for Mary and me was Bethlehem. What a sight, the two of us hobbling along on a mule. Did you know that a mule is the offspring of a horse and a donkey? It's a hybrid, like, say, the way a pegasus is a hybrid, the offspring of a horse and, I'm guessing, an eagle. Now, can you imagine how that Pegasus's horse mother's horse husband felt when that eagle first swooped down with roses and sweet talk? Do you see what I'm getting at here? I'm just going to stop myself now. When we got to Bethlehem, it was like everyone and their uncle Nimrod was there. Every place in town was booked. On the edge of the city, we found a little dive, and it was there, exhausted after a day of refusals, that I decided that I simply wasn't going to take no for an answer. Mary saw how I was getting, the stress vein on my forehead two seconds from bursting. 
And so she kept telling me how everything was going to be okay. But of course, when you're living half in a dream, frolicking with the angels, you could sleep on a mule, on a daisy, on the head of a pin. Me, I deal with cold, hard reality. And if I can't even get a lousy bed for us, what kind of a job am I going to do for Mary and the kid? If those angels up there thought I was good for anything at all, it was because at the very least they thought I was a hustler, that I was the kind of guy who would provide, keep her safe. But it looked like I couldn't even do that much. A little bearded man greeted us at the door. Right off the bat, he raised his hand, blocking me. No dice, he said. Listen, I said, putting half my body through the door frame. You have to have something. Do you know what kind of a journey we had? I have a pregnant wife here. He looked over at my shoulder at Mary on the mule, and he took pity on us. I wasn't crazy about getting by on pity, but it was getting late. He handed us a blanket and told us we could stay in his stable. A stable. The word was like a gob of spit dripping off my eyelashes. <laughs> Tears of rage burned in my throat. A stable. I worked my whole life only to have my wife give birth to an angel baby in a lousy manger. <laughs> Inside the stable, the animals were completely silent, not asleep, just quiet. I don't know if you've ever been in a room full of silent animals, but it's eerie and unnatural. <laughs> I looked at them, and they looked back at me, silently judging me. <laughs> you know, said Mary in the quiet, I really feel like things are going to be different somehow after this baby is born. That's the way it goes, I said, clumping up some hay for us. My dad used to say that, too. After the kids are born, he'd say, nothing's ever the same again. I just feel, Mary went on, that this is a very special kind of kid we've got here. All mothers feel that way, I said. I know, she said. Looking at you in the stable, I could just punch myself in the face, I said. <laughs> Mary reached out and rubbed the side of my face. She did it like she always did, like an old man. Her hand was warm. I'm just so happy you're here, she whispered. I know, I said. I turned over onto my stomach and Mary started in on the knots in my back. As she rubbed, I complained and told her my worries. And as I complained, she laughed. And the sound of Mary's laughter was like angel wings clapping. And for the first time in a long time, it felt like things were going to be okay. In about three minutes, I'd be asleep, and sometime after that, Mary would be too, her head resting on my back. The thing with me and Mary is that whenever we fall asleep, somehow, in the middle of the night, we end up holding hands. And that night, in the stable, when Mary woke in the darkness with a sudden start, like always, our fingers were entwined. And when Mary squeezed my hand, I sprang into action. Thank you. Jesus and I were pretty good friends, and after he disappeared from our neighborhood and all those TV reporters started showing up on our street, I was a pretty hot property. My mom would freak out and call them vultures when they tried to ask me questions, but I'd try and chill her out. Be cool, I'd say. It wasn't just that I liked being on TV. I truly liked talking about Jesus. I still do. And to this day, people are always asking me to tell them everything I know about him. 
Jesus and I were in grade six when we first met. And back then, not everyone was allowed to hang out with me. A part of the reason was the way I dressed. I was the only girl in class who had a pair of high heels. And for my birthday, my mother bought me a ton of black bracelets with studs on them. Other people's parents said I looked like a whore, and they didn't want their kids to get my whore cooties or something. But my attitude has always been to just be who you got to be. A part of this way of thinking comes from me, but a good part of it also comes from the stuff that Jesus taught me. But more on that later. Jesus first showed up in the middle of the school year and sat in the back of the class. On that first day, when our chemistry teacher put on this movie about molecules, Jesus held up his hands in front of the projector and made a shadow puppet of a dove. That's how I first noticed him. It was about a week later when everybody started to notice Jesus. In moral education, we had to give a presentation on a social concern, and Jesus did his on world hunger. He went up to the front of the classroom without a loose-leaf paper or anything and started going on about how there wasn't such a thing as world hunger, which, as well as being a downright weird thing to say, was also factually incorrect. We had all seen pictures of Ethiopia on the news, and those poor kids were definitely hungry. Jesus said that if God fed the sparrows and butterflies, then he would also feed humans. The teacher pointed out that a lot of animals had gone extinct because the environment hadn't provided for them. But Jesus shrugged and went back to his seat, so he just figured he was really stupid. A lot of the kids in the class tended to not like Jesus very much. This, of course, was not helped by the fact that the teachers thought he was nuts. I know teachers aren't supposed to think stuff like that, but you just knew they were thinking it anyhow. Like when we went on a class field trip to the zoo, Jesus went over to the lion's cage and stuck his hand through the bars. The teacher was still screaming at him the next day in class. Why would you do something so stupid? I knew that the lion wouldn't have bitten me, Jesus said. I could just feel it in my heart. You just know he became the talk of the teacher's lounge with that one. But you think bravery like that would impress kids, right? Well, you're half right. Feeding your hand to a lion is cool, no doubt. But it's just that he was also imperiously lame. So lame that it undid all of the good. For instance, once when we were all in the back of the schoolyard and Judas was explaining to us where babies came from, Jesus positively spazzed out. I knew about all that baby stuff even then, and I knew that Judas was 50% full of crap. But if I piped up with my corrections, he'd be all, excuse me, what, Professor, been around the block. So I just kept my mouth shut. But Jesus, on the other hand, started having a complete breakdown. He said that Judas was a liar, and that if a woman hears someone whispering in her ear in the middle of the night, and if she sits up and looks around and no one is there, She'll be pregnant by the morning. If you think that's the truth, said Judas, then I have some magazines for you to look at. And everyone laughed. I'm sad to report that even I did, just a little.
Since Jesus and I lived on the same block, we'd walk home from school together. One day, on our way home, he invited me over to his house to play with his Ouija board. I hadn't played with one of those since I was a kid. Ouija boards reminded me of my mom's creepy boyfriends, but since I didn't get a lot of invitations, I accepted. Plus, in all honesty, I've always liked weirdos who were into the occult. It's just the way I'm built. His family lived in a building that had a huge billboard advertising beer on the roof, and there were dogs walking around in the stairwell. We went into his room, closed off all the lights, and set up the Ouija board on the bed. As soon as we touched the marker, it started zipping around like a cockroach high on roach poison. I had never seen such a thing before. Jesus and I took our fingers off the marker, but it kept sliding around just the same. It spelled out, I am with you, Jesus. Jesus and I screamed our heads off. We jumped off the couch and ran right into the apartment hallway. After that, things started getting weirder and weirder. Sitting in the cafeteria together one day, Jesus put his juice box down and turned to me. Tell me if this apple juice doesn't taste funny to you, he said. I took a swig. It tasted just like wine. I recognized it as wine because I'd had some at my cousin's wedding the year before. Why did your mother give you wine, I asked. I don't think she did, he answered. Word of the wine spread like wild. Pretty soon everyone in our class was lined up at our table asking for a sip. Jesus passed around his box and everyone got some. When there was none left, we all sang this crazy fast version of, don't worry, be happy. After that, everyone started letting Jesus hang out with them. And since I was his friend, I got to hang out with everybody too. A lot of boys in class took to following him around, anxious to see what he'd do next. The boys started calling themselves the Holy Ghosts. Jesus got mad and embarrassed when he heard about it, though. He didn't think the gang should have a name. He didn't even think that they were a gang, although that's obviously what they were fast becoming. Jesus showed up one day at my house. I never invited people over, so I was a little put off having Jesus in our house. Once I had Judas over, and he said he found my apartment depressing. I like your place, Jesus said, leaning against the bedroom window pane. You have a great view from here, right out onto the record store. It probably helps you dream of music. We have the best neighborhood. Wouldn't you rather we lived in Westmount, I asked. Westmount was the fanciest neighborhood in the city, and my mother was always going on about how, if she won the lucky seven, she'd set fire to the building and move us there in a smoke cloud of glory. Being rich is stupid, he said. It's way better to have less. It makes you cooler. No one from a rich background can ever really be cool. Jesus' words made me feel like, no matter how much there was something deep down wrong with you, there really wasn't anything wrong with you at all. 
I was sitting on the side of my bed, listening and thinking, when Jesus remarked on the cut on my arm. I got it when I crashed into a telephone pole while running and looking into people's windows at the same time. Jesus held my arm and kissed it. And then, just like that, the cut turned into a scab. It was like in a dream where funny things happen and you just don't question them. It was then I had a brainstorm. Our washing machine hadn't been working for months, so I brought Jesus over to it and it turned on. It still made the same old awful clanking sound, but still, it was working. I brought my mother over to see and she tried to get Jesus to pick a lottery number for her, but he wouldn't do it. Finally, she gave up on getting it out of him and just used the numbers in his birthday and she won $30. When the weather got nice, Jesus and I started hanging out in Jerusalem Park. The only problem with Jerusalem Park was all the older bums who hung out there who were always coming up to you. Sometimes they wanted to hit you up for change or smokes, but mostly they just wanted to mouth off about their hippy-dippy ideas. It was at that park that Jesus and I first met Jean-Baptiste. Even though it was spring, he was wearing a big brown fur coat and eating from a jar of honey with a plastic spoon. His legs were folded, and judging from his bare knees, he didn't have anything on under his coat. Jean-Baptiste came up to us and said that seeing Jesus gave him a real déjà vu. Déjà vu was big among the hippie bums, it seemed. It's like I recognize you from when I was a kid, said Jean-Baptiste. But that would be impossible. I'm twice your age. Plus, I grew up in Winnipeg. Jesus smiled politely. Jean-Baptiste looked at him in a knowing way. We were born for terrible things to befall us, said Jean-Baptiste. He kissed his palm and put it on Jesus' forehead. Are you wacko? I shouted at Jesus. Don't let him do that. You're going to get hepatitis. You think this boy is afraid of germs? Jean-Baptiste laughed. He has a pure spirit, man. He wants everyone's germs. For some reason, this made me sick and scared and angry. I was angry we had even stopped to talk to him. If you are so smart, I said, go find yourself a job. And then I grabbed Jesus by the hand and together we ran out of the park. That was the last time I ever saw Jesus. He had karate lessons with Judas that night and they were supposed to take the bus downtown together like they usually did. Except that night, Judas never showed up. His mother gave him a lift, and he figured Jesus would put two and two together and head downtown on his own once he saw he wasn't coming. But Jesus just stayed sitting on the bus bench waiting. Judas always said he really regretted that. The story went that Jesus was abducted, but nobody can really say for sure. The thing is, he would have been really easy to kidnap. Jesus trusted everyone. He probably walked right into the kidnapper's car without any hesitation. 
There were pictures of Jesus plastered to every telephone pole in the city, and practically the whole school had to be treated for post-traumatic stress syndrome. It seemed like no one could get the image of him walking into that kidnapper's car out of their heads. This one kid in our gang, Peter, said he saw Jesus in the park three days after he vanished, walking across the kiddie pool. But you couldn't believe what Peter said. He'd become totally obsessed with Jesus after the disappearance. Every composition he wrote in class was about him. The teacher said it was just his way of coping with the stress. I guess I was dealing with some serious stress of my own, because one day in art class, when the teacher told me that little girls who wore black tank tops didn't get into college, I stood up and yelled, what makes you so perfect? You've done too many lousy things yourself to be judging children. And the teacher got all red in the face when I said that, because he knew it was the truth. I knew that Jesus would have loved that one. It was the kind of thing that he would say, and it felt good to say it. On Wiretap today, you heard Heather O'Neill reading her short story, The Gospel According to Mary M. from Cartier Elementary. Heather is the author of Lullabies for Little Criminals. And at the beginning of the show, you heard my story, What Would Joseph Do?, which was recorded live in Vancouver's Studio One, thanks to Todd Elvidge and recording engineer Don Harder. Wiretap is produced by me, Jonathan Goldstein, with Mira Bertwintonic and Carolyn Warren. You can also hear the show on Wednesday evenings at 11.30. Please drop by our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap for a special holiday video starring Howard Chakowitz and his dog, Desmond. Have a warm, safe holiday, and thanks for listening. Now here we hear they want to see thee more clearly I know he hear me when my feet get weary I ain't here to argue about his facial features I'm here to convert atheists into believers I'm just trying to say the way school need teachers The way Catholic needed Regis That's the way I need Jesus So here go my single doll radio needs